1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you. And that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest for you today, Mr. Scott Drake. Scott, thanks for being with us.
1: Earl, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you let me uh, let me on the show. Appreciate you having me on the show. <laughs> well, hey, we'll see how you
0: feel about that at the end, <laughs> exactly. right? Uh, yeah. But uh, listeners, uh, Scott is a sought-after consultant and trainer who made every mistake when rising through the leadership ranks bed and air. Uh, After seeing emerging leaders on his teams repeating the same mistakes, he set out to find a simpler and faster way to grow leaders. When he couldn't find a shortcut, he invented one. And uh, it's that background and that willingness to go out and, and, and see a problem and invent a solution that makes me extremely excited to hear how you answer the first question where I start off all my guests, Scott. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, so to me, a responsible leader is aware of the whole job, right? They're aware of what leadership is, which is the biggest challenge I think a lot of people have, is it's just a big fuzzy thing. What is it? So to me, a responsible leader, is that they're aware of the whole job. Uh, they're aware of the trade-offs that leaders must make. Um, you know, leadership is is uh, basically you're 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 balancing conflicting goals, right? And a lot of leaders don't understand that some of the, the core goals of leadership are conflicting and uh, that they can't make everybody happy. So they're open and honest about those trade-offs. They're they're aware of the decisions and the trade-offs that they have to make and they commit to it and they keep their commitments. So to me, you know, a responsible leader they're just aware of the whole job and they they underpromise and they overdeliver. And you know, many well-meaning leaders uh, tend to overpromise and underdeliver. They tend to do the flip of it. So so that's to me is when I think about a, resp- a responsible leader, that's what I think about.
0: Mm, no, I I I like that piece, especially about the conflicting interests. It it reminded me of uh, of an experience I had uh, shortly after I got out of the Marines. Actually, I was I was working uh, as a contractor for the FAA, and um, I was down in Columbia, South Carolina, and Phil Fuller was uh, he was our contract representative there, and we'd had some issues going on, and he he just pulled me aside one day and says, Earl, so have you ever heard of the sixty twenty twenty rule? And I hadn't. I don't know if, if have you ever heard of a sixty twenty
1: twenty rule. No, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. So he goes, the one thing you need to know going forward with your career, he goes, is every decision you make, you're going to make about 60% of the people happy. You're going to piss about 20% of the people off and the other 20% just aren't going to care what decision you made. So the only thing that changes is who falls into what percentage with what decision you make. And at the time, it didn't really sink into me, kind of what he was trying to tell me. But I think it's it's a lot of that uh, that balancing of of interest issues. Is every decision you make, you're going to make some people happy, you're going to piss some people off, some people don't really care, uh, but you have to make that balance anyway, right?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, that's 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 kind of it in a nutshell. And it's, it's to me, leadership when you stop and think about it, or the way I define it, the way I help people understand it, is it's working through others to get things done. Right. There's things you need to get done, but you can't or you don't want to do them yourself. So you choose to work through others. You're making a choice to work through other people. And, you know, leaders, there, there, there's four core goals, which is, you know, getting results, which is pretty obvious. You know, we, we, we work through other people. We're trying to get something very specific done, you know, whether it's increasing revenue or growing our business or doing something like that. We're, we're trying to get results. But we have to balance that with, you know, engagement of our team and the enthusiasm of our customers and growing more leaders, you know, growing the, the capacity within our business to, to grow. And those are conflicting, though, you know, sometimes to get results, we sacrifice enthusiasm or we, we you know, work our team harder. And it's it's when we don't recognize that those are often conflicting, that we get ourselves in the trouble or we, you know, overpromise, or we think we have to do more in some areas because everybody else is. And we end up setting expectations that we can't meet, that, that we don't even need to set. Right. So it's really about. You know, understanding that the 60-20-20 is good and it's just understanding how does that actually apply and where does that apply to, to leadership.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. Um, so we, we talked about in, in the bio, you said when, when you couldn't find a shortcut, you went out and invented one. So what was the shortcut you invented?
1: So basically, again, I think m- most people have the desire, most leaders have the desire to be good leaders. But most can't define what good leadership is, right? If you go and you ask 40 or 50 different leaders, which I did, and I said, how do you know you're doing a great job as a leader? Then I got 40 or 50 different answers. Right. And that's kind of like if you go to a basketball player and you say, how do you know you're a great basketball player? Most of them can give you a thoughtful answer. And you go to their coaches and the coaches have a thoughtful answer. But what you don't see on a, on a team of coaches are all the coaches with different answers, right? Because then that would just kind of be chaos for the team. Yeah, so the shortcut really and and the way we we help people learn leadership faster is to is we give them a scorecard we basically give them you know leadership is four goals and nine jobs and People will do them differently But you have to be aware of them all and you have to be balancing them all and once people know that and they kind of understand You know the goals and the the activities then they already have the skills to do a lot of that stuff they just need to do it and um, so, so that's really how we we go about it. But it took me a long time to come up with the right four goals and the right nine jobs. It was about a five year research project and and a whole bunch of stuff that went into getting to that point. But that's where we ended up, and, and that's where we are today.
0: Yeah, no, I <laughs> I like that a lot. It it kind of reminded me like uh, of my origin story with with this podcast and getting things going. Is you know I kept hearing when I got out of the military and I worked for the the. You know, federal civilian service for uh, a while there, and and doing various jobs. I kept hearing, uh, I kept hearing a lot of people use military terms. You know, and and burden of command was kind of the origin name of this show. And I kept hearing that question or that term getting used. And I started doing the same thing you did. What does that mean to you? You know, and I started getting all these different answers, and, and realized that you know, a some people really didn't know what it meant. They were just using it because they heard some some talking head with some perceived authority using the term and they thought that they should use it but b it did mean something different to everybody and that was why i started a show so i really identify with that um that, that that process but you know let's talk about those uh those pieces of the scorecard there like if you don't mind obviously don't want you giving away everything for for free here but whatever you feel like sharing what what are those uh, what are those things on the scorecard
1: Yeah. So, no, I actually give it all away for free. There you go. Yeah. So the scorecard, the scorecard is a tool. I'm actually, my goal in in, in, the way we run our business is we give all that away for free. The scorecard and a a one hour lesson on the scorecard is all given away for free. And then there's other stuff downstream and parts of the the scorecard that that we coach on and, and, and do some other stuff around. But yeah, so, so we give it away for free. So I'm perfectly happy to talk about it. To me, it's, it's one of the most important things to get out in the market. And if, uh, Uh, I I don't need to make money off of it. Right. So, yeah, the the big piece is, like I said, there's two pieces to it. There's goals. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you know you're doing a good job? What should you be measuring and what is the right measurement for your team and your organization and, you you know, your situation? Because it's going to be different for all leaders. And there's, you know, so so we really help them get clear on, you know, what does results mean to you and what does engagement mean to you? Right. What is the right level of engagement? You know, that's a huge topic right now of employee engagement, employee motivation. But it there are different teams and organizations should have different goals based on whether it's, you know, mechanistic work where people are just kind of following processes versus creative work. You know, there's different reasons that you would have different goals around engagement. Uh, customer enthusiasm is another one, you know, I've been in some industries that was very cutthroat and you could try really hard to to build customer enthusiasm, but they'd still go someplace else to save half a percent. And in other industries where customer enthusiasm is critical, right? It's more critical than your own results at times. So that's three. And then and the last one is, is creating more leaders is the other kind of fourth big goal. But again, that's going to mean different things to different companies. So the first is really just to be clear on, you know, these are the goals that we have. And here's how we're gonna measure them. And here's how we're gonna track them. And then they change and flex a little bit over time, right? That's, that's you know, this year, we may be really focused on one thing and next year we're focused on something different. But it's the awareness of them and the alignment of a leadership team around them that then really makes it a powerful tool for leaderships, for leaders and leadership teams to, to work better together.
0: So when you're going through those those pieces with leaders, how how in tune do you find that that most leaders are to be able to 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 answer those questions effectively about themselves?
1: It it varies. Um, the, the, the 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 When we get into the nine jobs, the first job is to be a coach, and and one of the the keys about being a coach is just good emotional intelligence and understanding you know, and being honest with yourself about, about, you know, what your motivations are and some of those things. So yeah, we do, we do see, um, you know, some of the challenges we see, especially when our results are that people aren't aware. They try to treat all work as, as mechanistic or routine and trying to build efficiencies into everything. But a lot more work of people and humans is, is creative work. And you can't, expect, you know, creative solutions efficiently all the time, right? It's the wrong goal. There's they're like right. polar opposites, efficiency and innovation. So th- what I see a lot is I see uh, leaders have all been trained on efficiency, and they don't understand even what the measures are for organic or creative type of work. So, so we see some struggles there. Um, and again, I think the biggest thing is we see struggles with people saying, you know they they put these big huge goals around employee engagement that maybe aren't applicable for their business just because they see so much pressure in the market or they see so many other companies doing things but they don't necessarily make sense for their business uh, or for their particular teams and and or they're not paying attention to it enough and they need to pay attention to it more so it's really finding the right balance for their team and yeah i think i do think that there's um you know, some people kind of kind of get it and some people are kind of it's kind of new to them. But but most of them can come along pretty quickly, especially if they have good emotional intelligence and can kind of really be honest, you know, honest with their own assessments about it.
0: Nice. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, the the nine jobs there. You already mentioned one, but uh, let's let's talk about those a little bit more. So what are those nine jobs and, and you know, kind of how do they how do they impact this this leadership journey?
1: Yeah. So a lot of people like one of the big mistakes I made when I came up was that I, I didn't want to quit doing my old job. Right. I right. was a great computer programmer. Right. I was a computer programmer. My ego was completely attached to being a great computer programmer. I was asked to lead a team because I was a great computer programmer. And this is a team of computer, computer programmers. So that's where my ego was very much attached. Right. So. So part of the reason that I stayed in and, and, and struggled as a leader is I didn't know where to focus my energy as a leader. Right. I didn't know what to attach my ego to. And that's that's kind of where these nine jobs come in. And and I'll rattle them off real quick and and we can talk about talk about any of them. But Yeah, the first one is to be a coach, which is really to shift out of that player mindset into a coach mindset. Right. They think about the world differently. They're looking at different things. And it's a very hard transition for most people to make. Um, Removing obstacles is one of the biggest jobs of leaders. So basically be looking a mile up the road and saying, what is gonna derail my team if we don't clear this roadblock out of the way before they get there, right? That's another big job of leaders is to constantly looking forward. Um, uh, Building relationships internally, inside your organization, outside your organization. Uh, Leaders are always having to to build those relationships with people and and do those things. That's the third job. Uh, Becoming a strategic learner. You know, again, there's 90,000 books on leadership on Amazon. Right? You can't study it all. You can't learn it all. So you have to learn to, to recognize what are the pieces of this that I need to learn and then how can I learn it faster and better? So that's the fourth piece. Um, the fifth job is, is creating alignment. Uh, what's the vision? You know, I've assembled this team to get something done. Our job is to get something done. What are we trying to get done? How will we know we got it done? Right? What standards are we working toward? What's our quality level? What's our cost level? Those are the types of things that have to be communicated for the team to do a good job the sixth job is challenging the team you know which is basically sometimes again you're going to put processes in place and you're going to teach the team a process but more and more work is creative and you're going to put a problem in front of the team and say figure this out like I, i'm the manager but i don't i can't with my own brain power figure this thing out so that's why i have you all here to help me figure this out so it's challenging the team to really figure out and solve those problems uh seventh job is to nurture health nurture a healthy culture you know what are the right code of conduct for our organization eighth job is to assemble the right team Uh, how do we get people who are going to be they're going to have the skill and the will to want to do this work they're going to want to be here they're going to be engaged Uh, they're going to fit in well they're going to play well with the team you know what's the right people for this team and then the ninth job is to create accountability right and that's the last job i teach because if you get those other eight right then it almost always takes care of itself and you don't you as a manager don't have to hold people accountable because you set the right vision and you challenge them and you have the right culture and and a lot of times accountability takes care of itself if you get those things right. So those are the nine jobs.
0: I love it. I love it. And and I, and I love how you set about to to get there, um, because you know going through those, you know what I teach because you know my thing is uh, being a, a veteran, Marine Corps veteran. I've kind of glommed on to the the Spartan culture a little bit there, and I call the the shields of the phalanx, um, and I've got eleven of them, but you know, these nine that you teach, uh, the, these nine jobs and the 11 shields are very much in alignment. And, you know, you, you mentioned a research project, uh, you know, taking several years to come to. And what I love about it is that you got there, uh, kind of almost to the same spot in the end. And, you know, my stuff is based off of, you know, 2,600 years of history going back to, to Sun Tzu. Um, and what I love about that, uh, Scott is, is, you know, I always love to hear modern affirmations for that stuff because if it's still true today and it was true 2,600 years ago, it's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so too. It's funny. I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago and he asked the question, what makes somebody a thought leader? And And my answer was that I think that there are just some universal truths right, that have always existed and that will always exist. And I think a thought leader is somebody who can make those apparent or apply them to today's world or can, can point out how they may change as times change, right? But I do think that there are just some universal truths to, to leadership and to working through others effectively. and, and, and um, So yeah, I do, I do think that there's, you know, some of the stuff you would see uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago would be applicable today uh, from a principle standpoint.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, going through these jobs a bit here, I know the one that, that my, my listeners, my, especially my longtime listeners, their ears perked up on, cause they hear me say this all the time. You know, I always say leadership is just another relationship. Uh, and so the fact number three was build relationships, um, you know, and even for, for the, the shields, one of the things that I talk about is, uh, you know, uh, build relationships and look out for your people. Um, but I, I'm really kind of curious to hear your take on it because I always like to hear the, these new perspectives, even though they're they're so close. I'm a big fan of of um, cognitive diversity because I'm really curious how you landed there.
1: Like, why do you believe that building relationships is so important? To me, well, leadership's all about people, right? You're trying to work through other people to get things done, right? There's things you need to get done that you can't or do, You don't want to do them yourself. You're trying to get somebody else to help you. And you know, in days of old or the old idea was that I'm just going to pay them more or they're going to do it because I'm giving them money. And that's just not enough in, in the modern workforce. And it's definitely, definitely not enough if you're wanting people to bring their brains and their best thinking to work. Right. You've got to, to give them something else. So you really have to be able to understand who they are as a people, as people to, to understand what's going to motivate them. But yeah, I mean, you're dealing with, uh, you know, internal stakeholders, external stakeholders that that are, are really critical to your success and your ability to get results. Um, you know, so what we do is we give them, you know, kind of three, each of those jobs and each of those goals, we give them three checklist items that are part of kind of the scorecards, 39 total items. And the ones on, on relationships are really about the idea that you've got to have, you got to, you're not always going to like everybody. Not everybody's going to like you, but you got to find ways to have healthy relationships with everybody. You know, you got to have good working relationships with everybody and you got to seek out new people. And then, you know, one of my favorite quotes was Zig Ziglar, that you can have anything in life you want if you just help enough of other people get what they want. And it's just that idea that you just help people on a regular basis with no expectation of something returned just to be helpful. And, and you know, you do some of those things and, and it's really going to be, you know, critical to to your ability to be successful as a leader.
0: Yeah. No, I, I like that. And and I love the Ziglar uh, quote. They're always like a good Zig Ziglar quote or, or mm-hmm. story in a conversation because he's got a bunch of them. But yeah, you're, you're right. You're 100 percent right about, uh, you know, the importance of those those relationships. And, you know, it kind of goes back and This is one of the reasons why I asked the, the one question about how in tune do you typically find, uh, you know, leaders are to that? Because, you know, that, that's that's a good way to find out the answer to some of those questions is is through those relationships, because you know, if you're taking that time and, and you're investing and you're you're getting to know your people on 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 that level, and, and you go and you try to answer some of these questions for Scott, they're going to let you know where where you stand on those things. Whereas if you don't take the time uh, to build the relationships, get to know your people, uh, they're, they're going to be afraid. You know, when, when you ask them for feedback, they're not going to want to give you the feedback. They don't know you well enough. You're the boss. There's a lot of there's a lot of perceived power, authority and and innate fear with just the title boss. Uh, but building those relationships makes it a lot more personable. Uh, you know, and I can tell you again from the military, uh, people are a heck of a lot more willing to follow somebody they know and they have a relationship with than the person who's just cold comes in, shuts the door to their office and doesn't try to interact. Uh, so those relationships are, are immensely critical. So again, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you kind of highlighted uh, that piece there. Um, the, the next one here, uh, if, unless you have anything to add to that. No, go ahead. No, okay. Um, I like the fact that you, your, your next follow-up there was uh, become a strategic learner, because, you know, one of my favorite Kennedy quotes is, you know, simply, he says, uh, leadership and learning are indispensable to each other. And I like the fact that you talk about strategic learning here, but I'm kind of curious when you use those words, what does strategic learning mean in this
1: context? Well, so I think it's, to me, learning is a couple of things. Number one, you've got to, you've really got to have a growth mindset and a growth mindset isn't meaning I want to learn. A growth mindset is being willing to show your gaps. And a lot of leaders um, feel like, like again, early on when I became a leader, I felt like I couldn't show that I didn't know something because then I would lose my team's trust, right? If, if, if the boss doesn't know how to do this thing, then why is he the boss, right? That was kind of the the, the the script going through in my head. And I may not have thought that intellectually, but I really felt it emotionally, right? So, you know, one of the first big things about, about learning is just to say, uh, it's okay that I don't have all the answers and it's okay that I have gaps in my knowledge, especially in, the, in today's world where things change so fast, right? So it's really being... Um, Able to say, you know, uh, it's okay to show my gaps. It's okay to raise my hand in a meeting and say I don't understand something or I don't know something. Right, a lot of us don't want to do that because we don't want to show those gaps. So it's, it's that it's having you know an idea of where you want your career to go. Um, you know, again, if you're trying to to become a mid level manager and level off and have a great career there, then you're going to have a different learning journey. Than somebody who wants to be an executive or somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur. They're gonna have a lot more things to study and different things to study. So you can't just kind of follow the herd. You can't just do even what your boss is doing. You can't just do even what your, your colleagues are recommending. Hey, that's a great book. I'm glad they recommended it. But is it really the book that you need to read right now based on your own career goals and where you're trying to go, right? So it's, it's really to be able to say, you know, I have my career goals, I have my ambitions, the things that I wanna do, where I wanna be. And then I'm going to dedicate time each month or, or quarter that's, you know, kind of appropriate for what my long term goals are. So it's really kind of a combination of those things, you know, having the right mindset, having a growth mindset, knowing where you want to go. And then and then ways to, to spend the time doing the learning that you need to do as a leader, because you're never going to stop. All right. It's, it's, it's one of the core pieces of the job is you got to keep learning.
0: Yeah. No. And again, I think that is extremely, extremely valuable. I was working with a leader one time. And and that was his mindset was he thought he had to consume every piece of leadership literature that was ever written. And, uh, you know, one day we were talking and, and, you know, he just out of the blue, he asked me, he said, if you had, if you had one piece of feedback for me, what would it be? And I told him, I said, you got to stop reading all these books. And he looked at me and goes, w- why? You, you talk about the importance of, you know, listening to podcasts and, you know, watching YouTube videos of, of thought leaders and, and all those good things and reading books. I said, yeah. To your point, uh, you know, I told him. I said, yeah, but the problem is, is you don't take the time to digest them, mull them over, figure out what they mean to you, and how you can apply them in an authentic way. You read them, you catch a couple of catchphrases, and then you try to to regurgitate these things, and it comes across as as uh, you know as fake. You're you're not authentic with these leadership styles because you change them all the time. Slow down. I love that that idea. Slow down and be intentional about your leadership development. Uh, So so I really like that piece there. Thank you for bringing that up.
1: Yeah. One of the other things that we actually teach is we teach some learning science. We teach some some because, again, that's that's kind of. You know, a lot of us want to be passive learners. We want to read books. We want to listen to podcasts. But you have to become an active learner. You actually have to to find ways to to put that into practice. So all of the lessons, everything that we do, we actually give them assignments with the lessons. Most of our lessons are are, are sixty to ninety minutes, and then the the assignments will take them a couple of weeks because we want them to really go. And try to put into practice the things that they're learning, because if they don't do that, they're not going to learn it. Right? It's just this passive learning just doesn't work, and it's it's we have to get them into that active mode. So I agree one hundred percent. I think that that's one of the biggest. um, I think a lot of the the material out there is hard to find a way to apply it to my world. Right? That's that's kind of when I finish a book, it's like how do I have to apply that? They don't really give me any mechanisms to do it, and it's just not as effective. And and it's and yeah, to bounce from one book to another, you know, to read twenty books a year isn't going to help you as much because you're not taking the time to really apply it or or trying to think about how can I apply it
0: right yeah and and again I don't want anybody listening to this because I don't even think this is what you're saying here Scott but I don't want anybody listening to this and say oh I'm going to stop reading books I'm going to it's be intentional about it it's take the time to pull those things out of it. it not just read because somebody told you you had to read like you said 50 books a year or something um, cause there is a lot of value, you know, there's a lot of value in those leadership books. I mean, there's a reason John Maxwell writes a new book every three months. Um, but you gotta be smart about it. So uh, I think that's the, the key takeaway there. Um, the next one is, uh, that, that I really like here that you threw in there. I'm going to skip down a couple here, uh, challenge the team. Uh, what do you mean by that? When you identify that as a leadership job?
1: Well, I'll talk about how, I'm, how I ask you to measure it, and then we'll talk about how, how, uh, what is it. So the way I ask people to measure it is to say, if you look at your team, is your team proactive? Yep. Right? Does your team have an ownership mentality? Uh, has your team itself created the standards and the way it works? Right? Is it, is, it, is it really engaged in how it does its job? Does it care? Does it show up every day really engaged? And does your team suggest improvements that are that are regularly implemented? Like, is, are they coming to you and saying, "There's better ways that we can do this, and here's how." Right. And if you if you can't say yes to those, then then the so chances are really good. Number one, you're in a very routine, mechanistic environment where your team is just following a process, and they're not really knowledge workers, right? They're they're they're, they're more the the mechanistic type of work. But if 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 you can't answer yes to those, then chances are your team is 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 not challenged. Right. They're probably pretty bored. They're probably looking to the boss to tell them what to do or tell them how to do it. And that's the last thing you really want as a boss, especially when you're dealing with knowledge workers. So it's it's really being able to say, um, you know, the leader's job is really only to state the vision. Right. Our vision is to is to 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 move the ball from A to B. Yep. Right. Uh, here's here's why it's important. But how we move the ball from A to B is something that in a lot of cases you can challenge your team to do. Right? So you can go to your team and you can say, how do we do this? How can we do this? Right? It's, it's a here's what success will look like. How can we make it happen? And the more you do that, then the more engaged your team is going to be, the more motivated they're going to be, the more they're going to want to show up, the more they're not going to quit because somebody else pays them 10 percent more. right? They're going to be really invested and engaged in the work. So to me, it's really important that as much as possible um to really set out a challenge and lay out a challenge for your team and to kind of get out of their way and give them some space to do it uh and, and that's so that's really one of the biggest biggest pieces becoming more important for modern work where much more of it is, is knowledge work versus uh, mechanistic work
0: man no i love that again i can uh, i can just hear my listeners smiling because i've shared this quote on here a bunch of times i'm going to share it a bunch of times more but what you just said there was was perfect it's and i don't know if you've ever heard this quote before or not but from uh, from general patton we said, don't tell your people what to do. Tell them what needs to be done. Then get out of the way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. Uh, and and that, that's exactly it, right? Is you setting the the parameters for success is what I call. It. Is you set those boundaries to play with in, you know, maybe lay out a few things like budget constraints, you know, moral, legal, ethical obligations you have to adhere to. But then just let let the let the cognitive diversity that's naturally in your team run wild and come up with a solution because, you know, the truth is what Scott's saying there, and you've heard me say it on here before. The the truth is when you do that, you're going to get a better solution than you, the leader could have ever come up with on your own, just because you got more brains working on the problem uh, without fear of, of what they're going to say. So uh, I, I like that piece. So now, what we uh, go on to your next uh, piece there. Let me
1: let me throw one more thing in there real quick. Go that, for so it. So that patent that patent quote. Yes, I love that patent quote. I actually used that patent quote a couple of times in in the series, and I finished the scorecard lesson with that quote. Love it. Because what what the scorecard is is me laying out a challenge for leaders, right? It is me giving you the goals and the activities, and then and laying out the whys and the whats of leadership. And then I'm challenging you, the leader, to figure out how to best do this for you, right? Because we're all going to do it differently. Uh, and that's fine. Like, we all need to figure out what works best for us. But we need to be working toward these goals and be aware of these activities. See, I love that quote. That's exactly what I do. That's that's kind of how I view my role for leaders is to is to, to point them in the right direction to get out of their way.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that goes back again to the building the relationship piece, right? Because... Um, And and it ties into uh, one of your later ones as well uh, about assembling the right team, because, you know, you can't do that effectively if you don't have the right team that you can trust to give that level of leeway with. And your team has to trust you to believe that you mean, hey, I want you to run wild with this. This isn't about me. This is not about my ego. This is about coming up with a great solution. And and there's a lot of relationship and a lot of trust and, and a lot of that having the right people in the right place that comes into play, right?
1: Absolutely. So it's it's really about hiring for cultural fit, hiring for, you know everybody. We have code as a conduct. We have ways that that we like to work. That's important to us. And if you hire for that code of conduct instead of trying to coach that code of conduct in the people, right? Then then you're typically gonna ha- you're gonna make better hires. You're gonna have people that you can trust more. Right now, now that makes hiring a little bit harder because now you have to figure out how do I actually interview for a code of conduct? Right. That's a, that's a longer conversation. But, but yeah, it's really being able to say that, you know, we're going to hire for our culture, our code of conduct. We're going to hire people who find this intrinsically motivating, like people who are interested in solving this problem. Somebody who may view this as a stretch goal. Right. We want to hire people who have done exactly what we need, but that person will probably be bored. Right. That happens all the time in tech is we hire people that are too senior for the job and then they overcomplicate the job to make it more interesting for them. Right. So it's really about hiring people who are going to be intrinsically motivating and, and, and are really going to want to be there. And then the other big piece with hiring is to make sure that you're what I call rehire your team over time, because what's challenging for somebody this year is going to be boring next year. So instead of seeing that person quit and go, go find someplace else to work because they're, they're looking for something more challenging, can you change with them? Can you stay on top of of what's going to be interesting for their next step and then and then present them with that next step? And it doesn't have to be a raise. It doesn't have to be a promotion. It just might be shifted to a different team. It might be moving to a different department. It might be doing something. But but how can you change with your team? Right. So hiring is not a one time event. it is a constant event that you're constantly looking at. What's what's interesting to this person? How do I keep them in, in, in doing that interesting work?
0: Yeah. No. And I love that piece, uh, especially. Uh, you know, in light of like you said, with with tech and, and any, any innovative industry right now uh is facing that and, and let's just be honest, just about every industry is is innovating. Uh you know, there's a another quote that that I've used on here before and and it goes unattributed, but it says change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Um and you know, you talk about hiring, you know, there was a piece from from Google uh talking about their hiring process where they, they kind of glued clued into this same thing you're talking about here. Uh, like when when somebody like a coder, for instance, uh, graduates, you know, there's a shelf life on what that degree means today, because in two to three years, technology has changed to where that information still gives you a good foundation to to keep up with the tech, but it's not as important as it was two or three years ago. What's important is can you adapt? Can you learn the new tech? Can you learn the new skills that come along and build on the foundation you already have? Or do you just, I got my master's degree in computer science. I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep this skill sets the same. And so, you know, that's kind of what I heard when you're talking about the, the hiring for the fit is, is, yes, you need some technical skills, but you also need to make sure that you have some of those skills of, of dependability, adaptability, and things like that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are Patrick Lencioni permission to play values, right? It's it's right. uh you have permission to play values. What's the the base standard of behavior we expect? And and to me, uh, you know, curiosity and a desire to keep learning is is becoming more and more critical for every job. You know, it's it's even even the jobs that that were very, you know, routine and followed processes, you know, years ago, most of those are done by machines and computers now. Right. And it's it's the people that are having to solve the exceptions and deal with the exception work. So, so, you know, th- that's going to change. It's going to constantly change, um, you know, so you've got to be willing to do that and want to do that. And, and so it's, yeah, that to me, that's, that's one of those, those core permission to play values that almost everybody's got to have at this point.
0: Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. So let's say, you know, we, we went through these nine, we, we've scored, you know, fairly decent on, on the scorecard uh, so far, but we, we, we get to the point where we have our team, we're doing some of these these great things as a leader, but we get to that trust issue. And, you know, that's one of those one of those kind of words that a lot of people talk about, but it's really hard to you can't force somebody to trust you. You got to build that trust. Um how what are some good ways for a leader to really kind of start, you know, kind of building that trust and then kind of getting that snowball effect going?
1: So I think the the first thing with trust is to not damage the trust that you already have. right it sounds it sounds obvious, but uh, one of the places that I actually try to start people is I say I have a saying called lose the competency war." And what I mean by that is that a lot of times as a leader, we're trying to earn the trust of our team, right? I, trust goes two ways. It's like I need them to trust me so that they will do what I say, right? And the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna be competent. I'm gonna show them that I can do their job. Scott was a great computer programmer. Let me show you I was a great computer programmer, so you're gonna trust me, computer programmers, to do what I tell you to do. And what happens though is often they're trying to earn my trust, right? That trust is a two-way street that they're trying to say, Scott, I want you to trust me so that you're gonna let me me run, let me do these things. And the way that they wanna earn my trust is with their own competency their own ability to be computer programmers. And what happens a lot of times with leaders is that we're trying to earn the trust through our own competency that we stomp on the toes of our team. So one of the best things you can do, one of the first things you can do is step back, right? And step back and say, look, I'm I, there are other ways I can earn my team's trust through clarity and compassion and ca- and caring about them and, and really uh, f- doing what I say I'm gonna do and following through on some things. Um, but i'm going to not try to outcompetent them <laughs> because it's it's then then we're just we're damaging trust in a way that that is is really bad. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's really there's a lot of there's a, a Stephen Horsager wrote a great book called uh, i think it's the seven pillars or nine pillars of trust or something on that line that's a really great book uh, that digs into all the other ways that you can earn trust beyond competency. And that's really where i, I recommend people start.
0: No, I think that is a good a good piece there, a hundred percent. Right? I mean, it's we, we talked about you know this stuff in uh, a, a while ago about being okay, not knowing stuff, and um, I've worked with a lot of scientists type uh, through my career, and that's the one thing that I've always found it's really hard for scientists uh, to do, and I'm talking about all disciplines of science, is. I like the way you put that, lose the competency board, right? Because there's such a, a level of I need to know more than the next person to be a better scientist. And what we're talking about here is is really uh, it's, it's so key to building trust because people love a leader that is willing to learn from them. Uh, and it, it sets that example. Right. It says that example. It's okay to grow. It's okay to learn. It's okay to to not necessarily know something, as long as you're willing to go out and 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 close that gap. And I also love the fact that you honed in on that uh, fostering the trust once you build it because I agree with you. You know, I mean, that's the thing. You can spend twenty years building trust and doing everything right, and one, two, maybe three, if you're lucky. Instances of violating that trust and that 20 years is gone and I don't think people really grasp that trust is that fragile
1: It is and here's here's the thing that made it click for me and and where and where I really went Wow, have I been doing this wrong my whole life? And it's this idea that your team wants to be the hero of their story Right, we all want to be the heroes of our own story And if you're out there trying to out your team and show them how great you are and be the hero in your own head, right, then what you're doing is you're keeping them from being the heroes of their story. And if you want their best thinking and you want them to show up with all their energy and everything that they've got, then you've gotta step back and say, my job is not to be the hero anymore. My job is to be the hero maker. And I've gotta let them be the heroes of this story. And once I kind of click that in my head, then a lot of stuff started to change. And I actually started to build more trust with my team. My team started to trust me more because they could see that I was trying to make them better and help them be better. So to me, it's really about that, that emotional intelligence is so important because you can understand that intellectually, But in the moments where you have to step back and defer, and let somebody else win, and let somebody else get the accolades and be the hero, you have to be willing to step back and do that, and that takes emotional intelligence to do that, right? So, so, but that's really what clicked for me is the idea of you got to let your team be the hero of the story.
0: I love that. I love that, and I think that's some good, uh, you know, kind of tips there about awareness. And uh, you know, I'm just kind of curious with all the work that you've done are there Are there things that uh, are, are there things that a, a leader can just kind of observe, like daily behaviors, uh, either themselves and their team, that kind of is a quick pulse of how good a job they're doing as a leader?
1: So I think some of the big ones are, uh, do you talk more than you listen? Right. Right. I mean, I think that's that's one of them is, is to basically say, uh, you know, do I, do I sit back and let other people talk? Um, is your team comfortable challenging each other, right? Can your team have healthy debates? Can your team, um, you know, disagree in a professional way, in a healthy way, right? That's a good, a good sign of team health It's a good sign of trust. Um, another good one that's kind of different, it's on a, on a different thing is like, do your customers or do, you, do the people that you serve, do they come to you for advice, even when you might not be the right solution? Right. If you're trying to figure out, you know, am I doing a good job for my customer? Well, do they come to you? Do they view you as a key go to person, even if they're not not sure you're the the best person for the job? You know, so those are you know, that's that's another thing that you can just kind of observe. Uh, The uh, like I said, the uh, the scorecard has kind of got thirty nine. It's got thirty nine items that aren't quite as clear as those three from an observation standpoint. But it's really based on this idea of of look at your world and rate yourself on this world. And based on that. You know, then, then we can kind of give you some advice on on, you know, the areas where there's a goal or a job or then we even break those down into the topics like, you know, hey, you know, based on this, uh, maybe active listening is something you should study or maybe, you know, uh, emotional intelligence is something you should dig deeper into. Right. So we try to break them down to topics, but we do it through that idea of what can you observe in your world?
0: Love it. I love it. Scott, this has been a great conversation so far. I've really enjoyed everything that we've talked about. Uh, we're coming up on about 40 minutes or so here. Um, I'm curious, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to really touch on yet that you want to leave listeners with before we go?
1: No, I mean, I think I think the thing is the, to, to, you know, leadership is just such an important job, but there are. But it's a job that everybody needs to know how to do. Right. It's, it's not it's no longer just the executive. It's no longer just the owner. It's no longer just the managers. You know so much work is becoming you know team-based work or or project-based work where we spin up a team and we have somebody who's the team lead for six months and then they go back to being a role player after that team winds down right so it's this idea that leadership isn't about a title and it's not about a position it's that it's a it's a skill set that everybody in a professional workforce in my opinion needs to develop you know needs to develop and needs to grow so uh, whether you aspire to be a manager or whether you are a manager uh, it doesn't really matter as much as it's again your your desire to work through others to get things done. Your your desire to want to do more than you can with your own two hands, and and that's what makes you a leader, not necessarily your title. So that's the that's the only thing I think you know would be that I, that I want to make sure I leave the, the audience with.
0: Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I agree with that one hundred percent. Again, um, I've, I've loved everything we've talked about here in this conversation, um, and and but I think that piece is is critical. I mean that was kind of the linchpin of, of our leadership development in the Marines is is that idea that everybody's a leader. Um, everybody should be able to step in when their moment is, when, when their moment presents itself. Uh, one of the greatest qualities of a leader is knowing when to be a follower, I believe. And uh, if you're comfortable with that and you're comfortable with letting your people lead when it's their, their strength, you're going to have a great team. You're going to have a highly successful team. And, and, Uh, I just love all the stuff that you're doing there, Scott. I really uh, think it's valuable work, and I'm glad that you're out there doing it. And I want to give listeners the ability to be able to find you very easily. So they want to find out more about you. They want to take the scorecard, uh, maybe work with you in some capacity. What is a good way for them to find out more uh, about Scott and and your work?
1: Yeah, the best thing to do is just go to jumpcoach.com. Uh, it's a pretty simple site. You can get into the scorecard, which takes about 10 minutes to go through. And it's, it's a good recommendation engine of, of what to study. And then there's some lessons there's some free stuff. And there's also some, some bigger stuff. So yeah, there's plenty of stuff to dig into. If this is an area that you're interested in learning more about, just visit us at jumpcoach.com.
0: All right. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, uh, we'll get that in the show notes there. So listeners go take advantage of that. I mean, you know, it's free. Uh, what have you got to lose, right? You, you learn a little bit, something about yourself, uh, have a good resource there to make yourself a better leader. And then you have Scott at your fingertips while you're there to uh, to be able to improve yourself and make some changes for you and your team. Uh, Scott, again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed everything we've talked about here over the last almost 45 minutes or so at this point. Uh, I just really appreciate you being a guest on the Responsible Leadership podcast and having this discussion with me and my listeners.
1: Earl, thanks so much. Thanks for letting me on. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E A R L at leadershipphalanx.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show, so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.
1: Electric Ast-
0: Welcome to Tuning into to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul.